Hi everyone, great to be with you this morning. So, as we know, it's 2020 and it's COVID times. So, who's been watching Netflix or iView? Most nights, even after the three nights of small groups, I watch Netflix with Michael. We've been watching mostly Spanish shows, dubbed or subtitled. Recently, I watched a Netflix miniseries, not Spanish, called Unorthodox. It's about a girl caught up in the rules and regulations and the lifestyle choices of her community of faith, an ultra-Orthodox Jewish community in our contemporary times. But faith and rules, do they go together? So often it would seem that they do. Well, that may well be your experience of faith growing up perhaps, maybe even now, but I hope not. It is not God's plan that we are caught up in rules. It never was God's plan. God's rules are there to keep us safe and well, to live in shalom well-being. Even our Premier had something to say about rules, an appeal, request, requirement to keep us all safe in these crazy times, to go the extra mile for those we love and those we don't even know, as well as for ourselves. Not really about rules then, is it? God has always been about relationship, a loving relationship with us that's personal, connected, intimate, just like in the story of the Garden of Eden. So where does church fit with all this? What is the plan for the church, that collective special entity of God's creation? What is God's plan for the church? Well, let me read from Ephesians, that little letter that we're reading from over these next few weeks. I'm going to read to you from Ephesians 3, 10 to 21. God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul, our author, writes to the Christians in and around Ephesus in modern Turkey now. This part of the letter is the end part of that poem prayer that Laura spoke about a couple of weeks ago. The key idea is that it is God's intent that through the church, 
the wisdom of God, the manifold, the diverse, the rich, multifaceted variety, like Joseph's technicolor raincoat. The wisdom of God, God's manifold wisdom would be made known to all, to all humanity and powers and authorities everywhere, even in the heavenly realms, even to the resistors. To know that God's love is for all, for everyone. But let's stop. What is the church? Let me first say what it is not. Even though for many centuries we've gotten used to the idea of speaking about church this way. Church is not the building here on Baronia Road or even several similar buildings on Baronia Road or the super fancy ones like St Paul's in Melbourne or poor old Notre Dame in France or St Peter's in Rome or the wonderful cathedral in Santiago in Spain. Well, we've been hearing a bit about the church, so let's just recap a little bit. Paul uses picture language to help people understand that we are the church, the called out group, the ecclesia, that's Greek. Grandchild number four is now 14 months old. Maddie says, up. We're teaching other prepositions like in, out, down, on, over. But when she says up, we understand she means movement. We are the church, the called out group, called out of this world to work in the world, being and accomplishing God's purposes in this world. There's movement, there's action. Well, Paul does have a few ideas and pictures, metaphors of what the church is like, a household, a household family a building, a body. In chapter 2, 19, Paul speaks of the household. I think of lots of stick figures, you know how you draw them, in a circle. A family. Family, even if we're not of the same bloodlines, we're strangers. We are all part of the family of humanity and in Christ, because of the eyes of our hearts being open to see it, we are family of God with family commitments too. The church is our family of choice, but really by God's choice. God's always choosing for love, you see. Isn't that our weekly communion story? Then in 2.20, Paul talks about a building, and I think of a simple kid's drawing of a house. There's the door and the windows. A building built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone, that secure, stable keystone, the focal point of construction. Like many of you, perhaps, I've watched many a grand designs or the block. And, well, my own house needed some work on the stumps. You've got to get that underpinning right. Need to check, actually, that you're actually building on the foundation and not just doing your own thing. Church, in 2.22, Paul says, is like a building being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit, a dedicated temple in the Lord. This is communal language. Yes, the spirit of God is in us as individuals, that's for sure. But yes and yes, The Spirit of God is in us as church together. 
How much better are we together with our various gifts? More about that another time, though. Christ's body. Paul speaks about Christ's body. And communion, again, has reminded us about Jesus' physical body being broken for us. Paul, in this letter, writes around mystery. He uses that word seven times. And in chapter 1, 22 and 23, he writes that Jesus Christ is the head of a body and we are the other parts. Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 talk about that too. My image is of a gingerbread man, but with fingers and toes and hair. Later in the letter, in chapter 4.12, Paul writes of the body of Christ being built up. Now, to me, that's mixing metaphors. But then I think about bodybuilders. They're well-developed and fit for purpose, aren't they? They're mature, as Paul writes, that Christians ought to be aiming to be in chapter 4.15. Paul can't help with all these images and pictures around buildings and bodies. It's the everyday life of Paul in the first century in the Roman world. There are well-trained and well-conditioned Roman soldiers wandering the streets and beautiful Roman buildings being built everywhere as the Romans conquered the world. Well, to be the church is to know the love of God. God is for us. Elsewhere, Paul says, who can be against us? In Jesus Christ, this was all made clear. That's the story of the cross. Chapter 3.12 says, to know the love of God is to know that there is freedom and confidence to approach God, creator God, father God, relational God. It's to experience God's love. Little Maddie calls me by name, Alma. She reaches out for me and she says, up. I can't go too far away because she wants to be close and I want to be close to her too. So we read in the scriptures here in Ephesians, Paul prays for the church gathered in this big town of Ephesus and for the churches around it most likely too, that they wouldn't be worried about his imprisonment. He says he prays that they would continue to acknowledge God Creator God, Father God. He doesn't name it all, but we know saving God, healer God, all the names you could give God. And why? Because it is God who named creation into being. It was God who spoke the word. It is God who is saviour, healer. We certainly couldn't do any of that. We are not God. God is God. Yet we're inclined to forget this. Or as the ancient garden story tells us, we would actually prefer to be our own God and control and manage our own worlds. Paul prays poetically, you notice. There's lots of doubling up of words. He prays to the giver of life and all things in 3.16. He prays that out of all of God's abundance, riches, that these folk would be strengthened with the power of God's spirit in them mightily, extra strong and empowered, so that Christ might dwell, live, make his home in them through faith. In other words, deep, 
deep in their souls, into their inner beings, into their hearts. And Paul prays for them that they, being rooted and established, grounded and planted deeply, again, in love. Lots of poetry here. Well, you gardeners know about planting. Tend to your plants, hoping that they'd fruit or flower or maybe both. What do I know? I have a lemon tree and it's got lemons on it and flowers. Paul prays for them that they would have God's power. There's that word again, power. Dynamos. We get the word dynamite from it. He prays that they would have control and influence and authority together with all God's people, that's the church, to grasp, to understand, comprehend, consider deeply, even grip, hold, clutch, clench, grasp all the width, the length, the depth and the height of the love of Christ for them. In other words, the all-encompassing nature of God's love for them. Can you hang on to that? God's love for you. To know this love that surpasses knowledge sounds a bit nonsensical, doesn't it? There we go, the doubling up of words. I think Paul is making a dig here at some common Roman thinking about knowledge the privilege of the few entitled ones, the philosophers of the day that sat about thinking about life. In a sense, Paul refers back to an ancient way of knowing that is all about relationship, that is about love and can be experienced and given from the heart. The old King James Version speaks about Adam knowing his wife, Eve. Anyway, Paul goes on. He says in 3.19, and be filled with it. Be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. That's huge. It's incomprehensible. How could we be filled with the fullness of God? I play in the sandpit with little Maddie. I'm filling and patting tight those little gardening pots and I'm kind of making castles, but they get spilled out. Anyway, that was my picture of filling things up. Pressed right down, Paul writes about elsewhere. The fullness of God. So I'm asking you, do you know God's love for you? Is it filling you? You're not sure? I encourage you, like the old song says, read your Bible. Pray every day. You may well discover in that how much God really loves you. But back to the beginning of our little passage. It is God's intent that we declare and share his love. It is through the church that the wisdom of God in Christ should be made known, that all would experience and understand God's love, that all are to hear of God's gift of grace in Christ. See, it's all about God, always has been. We are constantly being redirected to God time and again. And so are the powers and authorities everywhere, even those in the heavenly realms. See, it is all about God and it's all about grace. 
Becky preaches that from Ephesians 2. The church, with Christ the head and people the body, is God's way, God's up, God's movement to bring shalom, peace and well-being into this topsy-turvy and, will I say, crazy world. This is the stuff Jesus spoke about, of kingdom come and coming. Practically, we do this sharing of God's love out of our own experience of God's love, out of the abundance and the overflow of love, yeah, the width, the length, the depth, the height that we've experienced, not just because we should or because we have a need to satisfy something in ourselves and feel good about it. We practically share our love of God out of the goodness that's coming out of us. Our church vision statement speaks of together with God extending love to all. We work in partnership with God, relationally, for the well-being of all, not just for some, even for the tricky customers. Not just keeping God's love for ourselves, because we will share in the sandpit of God's love. But I don't know about you, I don't always like to share. Comes to God again. It is through God's Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit guidance and prompting, God's power at work in us, that we'll be able to let everyone know, let everyone experience that God is creator God who loves them in Christ. Well, back to rules and regulations and maybe a revelation of God's love for all. In these COVID times, I'm seeing the church of God out of its experience of abundance of God's love. I'm seeing the church giving, sharing, People are experiencing what the church is through the good works of the church, the kindnesses, the thoughtfulness, cards, phone calls, text messages, emails, Facebook, gifts, food, meals, blessings, blessings that we share. We, like the people of Abraham, are blessed to be a blessing to others. The Victorian government proclaims staying apart keeps us together. And from a physical perspective, this is true. But truer still is that the church is together. It is God's family. It is God's temple building. It is Christ's body. Living, acting from a deep understanding of God's love in all sorts of creative relational ways, just as history, lots of time and space situation has shown it has done for many, many years. The church is alive and active and moving. Amen. Let me say a blessing. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.